Hello, this is Ralph McDonald. Are you here? Are you here? Hey, we have nothing but heartfelt admiration and respect for every single listener and every married listener to the Paul Leslie Hour. Hey, we're bringing you an interview today from our radio archives with the late, great Ralph MacDonald. Now, this was recorded by telephone in 2008. Ralph MacDonald, born in Harlem, New York, 1944. He passed away in Stamford, Connecticut in 2011. We miss you, buddy. In the interview, the legendary Ralph McDonald checked in from New Orleans Jazz Fest to discuss his album, Mixty Motions. That's two words. M-I-X-T-Y, Mixty Motions. Great. Songwriter, huh? As a producer, a songwriter, percussionist, performer, and Grammy Award winner, Ralph McDonald had roots in the Caribbean. With his songwriting team of William Salter and William Eaton, Ralph wrote, Where is the love? Just the two of us. Mr. Magic and more of his songs were covered by artists like Bill Withers, Grover Washington Jr., Roberta Flack, Harry Belafonte, Jimmy Buffett, and others. The son of Calypsonian Macbeth the Great, Ralph MacDonald went on to be a member of Harry Belafonte's band when he was young. For over 20 years, he was an important member of Jimmy Buffett's Coral Reefer Band as the percussionist. His last album, Mixty Motions, is a fusion of the many styles of music Ralph embraced, from jazz, African rhythms, calypso, samba, and others. This was Paul's second time speaking with Ralph McDonald, and this interview is fascinating. McDonald shared opinions, history, and his philosophy on music. Hey, before we get started, we ask that you please consider subscribing to Paul Leslie's YouTube channel. It would greatly help us in our mission, and you get free access to all of our upcoming content. So before we begin the program, we ask that you make the most of every day, starting with this one. Ready? Let's listen together. It's my pleasure to welcome returning guest, Mr. Ralph McDonald. Mr. McDonald was one of my favorite guests of all time. He joins us to talk about his latest album, Mixed Emotions, on his Antigua music label, and a number of other topics. It promises to be an exciting show. So, ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome a Caribbean soul with a New York state of mind. Songwriter, percussionist, and producer, the Grammy Award-winning Mr. Ralph McDonald. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, Paul, and great to be back again. All right. So, how have you been doing lately? Oh, just wonderful. We're out on tour with uh, Jimmy. You know, we're here right now in New Orleans doing Jazz Fest. We performed last night, and... I'm going to head over there after this interview to see uh, Santana and the Neville Brothers. we got a little day off here. Oh, wow. That sounds exciting. Yeah, it's going to be wonderful. The first song I would like to talk about is the last song on the album, a song you wrote called Don't Stop the Carnival. The other day you mentioned all these Calypso-themed shows you've been, that we've been doing, and I appreciate you following them. But that song has a Calypso feel to it, and I really like it. So tell us about Don't Stop the Carnival. 
Well, actually, Don't Stop the Con was a song that I sang and my father did when I was a kid. It's, uh, it's just a can. It's, uh, thank God, in the year 44 or 43, they decided that uh, because of the war, they were going to have it in Carnival and Trinidad and the people started to rebuild. And I guess this, this chant came from that. It's, it's an old PD song. From years back, I'm still, my father sang it when he was a kid. I heard it when I was a kid. And I was working for Harry Belafonte at the time. And when I was working for him, he said to me that, actually, I said to him that I thought he should sing some different kind of calypsos than what he was singing at the time. Of course, Irving Bergie was, was writing most of the calypso stuff on him. He was one of my heroes, but... You know, from going down to Trinidad and knowing my father was a Californian and singers and growing up with Lord Vader, Duke of Vines, Lord Melody, and people like that growing by. And I, I just felt Harry could sing some different kind of calypso that he was singing. And he said to me, since uh, your, your father was a calypso singer, why don't you write me a song to replace Martilda in my in his show, which was the finale, the big song of the show. And so I was in Washington, D.C. This was like 1961. And I went to the Library of Congress and talked to the people there. And they were glad to show me the information I was looking for, which was my father was a songwriter. And I wanted to see what songs he had copywritten. When I went into the drawer, his drawer in the Library of Congress, I saw this title, Don't Stop the Carnival. And I remembered it, but it was just a game for. So I decided to put some verses to it and make a real song out of it. And that's what I did. And when I delivered it to Mr. Belafonte, he not only recorded that, but I did a whole album called Calypso Carnival with him. And that was in 1966. So the final analysis, he, he did like the song. He accepted it, and it did replace Martilda for his finale in the show. I'll give you another little tidbit. During that time, we were in California, the Greek theater performing. And, uh, gentleman by the name of Hermit Wolf, who's a great writer, came to Harry's show, and he heard that song as a finale, and he wrote a book on it called Carnival. Oh, yeah. The... And it turned out that Jimmy Buffett wound up doing the music to it. But the whole idea originally started from the Belafonte tune, which I wrote, called Don't Stop the Carnival. And as a result of that, you know, Jimmy did the show Carnival and the whole thing based around it, but I never got to do the music. He did it. And, but that was the whole idea from where it came from. So that was you. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to call you a Caribbean soul with a New York state of mind because you love both the states and the islands. And it's really nice that the centerfold of the album jacket, my heart lies in two places, New York and the Caribbean, and so my music is always filled with mixed emotions. And I've always been amazed with how you incorporate so many styles in your music. You have a lot of jazz in there, but you have, you have a Caribbean feel, too. And I know you listened to a lot of things growing up, but do you think that the calypso you grew up around influenced your sound? Oh, absolutely. I mean, my dad was a calypso singer. He had an orchestra called, uh, his stage name was Max the Greatest, Three Old Rhythm Boys. And he played for years around... Uh, New York region, you know, Brooklyn, Queens, Long Island. It was just very regional and local. But that influence was the influence I grew up with all my life. That's what we listened to when I was small. And also, my father played a lot of African stuff, which his father was Nigerian. So he had that connection with the 
not Germany, they shan't go and stuff like that. So I grew up listening to all that stuff. And of course, I was born in Harlem in America. So I grew up with the James Brown, you know, with the, with Motown Town and the, and all the jazz people, uh, Yusef Latif and Mark Blakely. So all that influenced my music. But the basic root, if you, you know, you know, Paul, I play, I'm a percussionist. And the basic root of rhythms is, is, is African. That's where rhythm come from. Right. You know, growing up with that African influence and growing up with my dad, Caribbean influence, because he was born in Trinidad and Tobago. And my, and then me being born in America, growing up with the American influence, my music sources diffuse all those three things together because that's my heritage. In 1978, I did an album called The Path, which traced my family back to Nigeria. And the music is starts in Nigeria. It goes to the Caribbean, and it goes on to America, where I was born. So it's a 17-minute piece of my family's real history. And uh, I'm really proud of that. You had just mentioned about your father, Mr. Patrick McDonald, who went by Macbeth the Great. And with your father having been voted one of the top 50 Calypsonians of the 20th century. You mentioned the last time you were on about the many greats that you got to meet, like Lord Invader, the Mighty Sparrow, Lord Melody, and others. Who do you think out there was the best? Well, it's hard to say who was the best, you know, because, you know, when you're talking about, you know, it depends on what period of time you, you were involved in. You know, being a kid when I was younger, there was people like Roy Lyon, Lord Melody, Zeta, the Duke of Vine, Gerald Clark, people like that that I grew up with and had a close relationship with in my time. But, you know, when I listened to the music from the Caribbean, of course, it was Lord Melody and the Mighty Sparrow in those days. You know, and you can't forget people like uh, the Mighty Bomber, Mighty Terror. All these guys were great influences on the music and great musicians. So it depends on what time you grew up in. To say who was the best, I don't think you can predict that. You know, it was so many good people. You know, it's sort of like when you say something like, "Uh, well, who was the best rock band? People say, well, the Beatles. Well, you know, you got the Beatles, you got Rolling Stones, you got U2, you got you got uh, Thing. You know, there's lots of groups that, you know, you can't really say who's the best. They're all great. You know, depending on what time you came up in and what the music was at that time. You know, I will always have a, a great respect for the Mighty Sparrow, Lord Kitchener. I mean, these are the giants of the giants to me because, for you know, they have the same they like to make career over a period of time that none of us get. Yeah, and you mentioned Kitchener, and I remember on one of your past albums, the song Remember Kitchener, and that's in honor of Mr. Alden Roberts, who was known to the world as Lord Kitchener. So, well, that was it, because the song is entitled The World Will Remember Lord Kitchener. I mean, he stands out in my life, great influence on, on, on me and my music and, and the tradition at the time. Uh, he's a great man, and he's a great music man, and, and I just felt that, yeah. I needed to pay tribute to this man because he was, he was just special. You know, every every 100 years and Lord Kitchener and Alwyn Roberts is born, you know, just happened to be in my lifetime and I really appreciate it. That's why I decided to honor him and went to Trinidad and I got this guy, uh, David Rudder, 
who's one of the foremost Californians in the day that's good at the bagel now, who resides in Canada. And we uh, wrote the song together. So it was a real nice experience for me. It's a nice memorial. A lot of our listeners probably know that you were in Harry Belafonte's band, and so were your songwriting partners, William Salter and William Meaton. That had to have been a big influence on your life. So I was wondering... Yeah. So I was wondering, what was your initial impression of Mr. Belafonte? Well, you know, in 1961, I was 17 years old. Mr. Belafonte was a star, you know, an international star. My, you know, my impression of him was like, wow, you know, I can't believe I'm standing next to this man, you know, and, and his music. And it was just a great thing, you know. We also went through the, the civil rights with Martin Luther King. So it was a good experience growing up and learning about life itself, being born and raised in Harlem. And then at a young age of 17, I quit school to go play music. And it was just an honor to be around these people. Harry was a big, big star. And I liked what he was doing. I liked the music. And it was great. And like you said, I met my two partners, Pooh and Anthony. We met in 1961, and we're still together. Our company is 208. We have a publishing company called Antigua. So that's been my whole life. My two partners were very well songwriters when I started. So it was a big influence on my life to see these guys. And they were always interested in the Calypso music, which was the biggest part of Harry Till. So when we connected, it was just like a natural thing to do. They're really great, great guys, great musicians. And we've been together for 46 years now. That's amazing. I didn't know this until recently, but I was I was reading that Harry Belafonte never liked being called a Calypso singer. And there's a new movie out, and it's a documentary called Calypso Dream. And he talks about some of the people of the Caribbean who had resentment, basically, about him being labeled the king of Calypso. Yeah. And I guess from a novice's perspective, just me, my take on it is, and, you know, keep in mind, I am a beginning Calypso student. He may not have been a Calypsonian, but he did bring that music to the world, the music of the Caribbean. And I, I think it made me personally aware of some of the Calypsonians who wrote so many of those good songs. So I wanted to know, Mr. McDonald, what is your take on that? Well, that I was there at the time. <laughs> right. I, that was one of the reasons why I felt Harry could sing some different kind of Calypsos. For the same reason, where these people resented it because, you know, they've been studying this shit and doing this stuff for so many years. They've been studying it. And when you get to see a, a man like the Mighty Sparrow or Lord Christina or Lord Melody perform and you see the talent and the, 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 the wittiness of the lyrics, the double entendres, you know, you, it made your mind think. And I wanted Harry to do that kind of stuff more, but he explained to me that, you know, he wasn't interested in the local, in order to understand a lot of the old time calypsos, you have to be in Trinidad and Tobago to understand what was going on because, you know, calypso was a form of news. People used to sing songs about the times and what was happening at that time, whether it was good or bad. So we think of it as in terms of enlightenment. Enlightenment, and Harry was strictly dealing with it from entertainment point of view. 
And these people, I remember one time, he went down to Trinidad. And all the first questions, he, he was met with, you know, do you think you're a political thing or you can't think Calypso or this and that? So he was very disturbed by that. But I give her the funny all the study in the world because I sort of said the same thing to him. Hey, why you don't sing about this and sing? He said to me, Ralph, I sing them. What I sing about is sea, sand, and sunshine of the Caribbean. <laughs> you know, the very positive things. And I took a big note from that when you know, we're looking at the bigger picture. You know, Harry was dealing on an international level where the most of the Caribbean people was dealing on a very local, local level outside of that music. When people go to the Caribbean, they'd love it, you know, but outside of it, you couldn't make a living. You know, and Harry was doing that. He was bringing this music, like you said, to the world where a lot of those other people may have to bring it to different regions. But how they brought it to the world, and, and it's something to be said for I give them all the credit for that. I mean, for making it as popular as it was, although they may not have thought it was Calypso, and neither did I at the time. But when they, I remember one time I told him, how you can't say no Calypso, and he, he said, come here, kid. <laughs> and he took me in his room, because we were rehearsing his house. And, you know, at that time, I was living in Harlem with my mom and dad and three sisters in a four-room apartment. And I went to Harry's house of rehearsal for the first time, and he lived in an apartment building with 22 rooms. Well, I almost passed out, because I've never seen nothing like this. And he took me in this music room, and he showed me a whole wall full of albums. started reading them, one million copies sold, one million copies sold. And it was like 15, 20 of these things, and I'm saying, wow. And he looked at me, he said, you think these people don't, are crazy? They don't know what's going on? But they bought this for nothing? And I realized the bigger picture. <laughs> I see. <laughs> where he was coming from. And, and, and I, I took a step from that. And that's why my music includes a lot of different things. You know, it includes the Calypso. And when you listen to my album, you hear Calypso. It's about things that's happening now, or it's about the country itself in terms of the land of the sea and sand, you know. And I always loved it in the sunshine. You know, that's what we go to the Caribbean for, for the sea, the sunshine, and the sand. And he he made me realize that, you know, why you can go negative or you can go positive. And he just went positive. He thought that was a better route. And so do I, you know. But I still have fun when I go to Trinidad, when you hear the inside stuff, when they're singing about local things or prime minister or different things. You know, it's, it's, it's hilarious, it's funny, and it's entertaining. So I just try to stick with basically what Harry's rule was to do the positive things in life. Think about that. Never mind this. You know, there's crime, there's stuff going on all over the world. But let's, you know, you look like people on the news complain. They never hear a good story, always bad news. Well, you know, Harry brought good news to people, and, and I admire that, and that's what I'm trying to do. I think you do that with your music. And and one of the songs on Mixed Emotions is called You Need More Calypso. And I've become very addicted to Calypso music, so I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so what drew you to that song? Well, because if you go down to the Caribbean now and you, you know, I go down to the Caribbean all the time. And one thing I like when I go to the Caribbean is I want to hear some local indigenous music of the country. I don't want to hear rock and roll. I don't want to hear... You know, I want to hear Calypso. When you go to Jamaica, Paul, you know what you hear? Reggae. Yeah. 
right through. Now, you'll hear American songs done reggae version, but it's still their vibe, their vibe, you know. So that's what I like about it. And when you go somewhere, when I go to Trinidad, I want to hear Calypso. I want to hear Sparrow. I want to hear Kiss. I want to hear Ron Lyon. I want to hear all the Californians that make records, Shadow. All there's so many of them that's so talented that nobody gets to know about or ever hear. And the only time you really see them is around carnival time in Trinidad. And that's when you, around carnival time, you hear that kind of music. But then after carnival, they seem to go back to another format, which doesn't include their music. So I just came up with this idea, you know, we need more Calypso. <laughs> we, need to, we need to hear more Calypso on the radio. So that's the whole idea behind that song. We need more Calypso, more Calypso in your life. Just relax and ease the pain down in Port of Spain. We need more Calypso. You know, so that was the whole idea of the song. Moving on to the title Let track. It flow, let it go down in Tobago. You know, so that's the whole idea of the song. I feel like you. We need more Calypso. I agree. <laughs> the song Mixed Emotions was written by Mr. William Eaton, and it's the title track. So tell us about the title track. Well, you know, that song was a song we recorded on a, a years ago with Robert Washington Jr. And it was one of our favorite songs. And I just thought that was really my feeling, how I feel about music, the mixed emotions, you know, because of my connection and, and, and with America being born here as a citizen and then my connection with Trinidad and my connection with Africa. It's just people say, well, what kind of music do you like? Well, I like music, period. You, I don't, you know, there's some people like to, to, in this world we live in, in order for them to sell anything or do something, they seem to want to put you in a category. And to me, the best word for music I've heard recently is world music. Music is music. It doesn't matter whether it comes from America, it comes from Japan, it comes from Europe, it comes from South America, you know, wherever it is, Africa, it's music. It's just a different kind of music. And unless you get to hear it, you won't have no appreciation for it. You know, and I was lucky at a young age to work with a Harry Belafonte, who was an international star, which is a lot different than an American star, because we got to travel the world and see different cultures and hear different music at a, at a young age. And we always tried to emulate the local traditional music, you know. I, I came up in folk music. There was no electric instruments around. It was acoustic guitars, drums, percussion, and upright bass. And we traveled. Every city we went into, we had an orchestra. And they used to play an overture in the pit. So that doesn't go on today. Unless you're on Broadway, time you hear an orchestra. So, you know, we did our shows like that. So I grew up in a, in a which we used our ears a lot. You know, there wasn't no electronic headphones on the stage and this and that. You had to really listen and sit in. And I think the musicians today, with all this electronic stuff, everybody just turns up to 10 and count it off and they start playing. Nobody listens to each other. You know, when you listen to each other, you're making a much more nicer planned music because what somebody else plays will affect what you do. What you do will affect what the other musicians do. And in the days of recording now, I go to a session, and I'm the only musician there. And I ask the guy, well, what are we doing? 
oh, well, he, he cut some facts on a computer, and he, he brought me in to give it that human element. Well, what human element? You know, huh. if something is dead, it's dead. I don't care who you bring back, they're not going to bring it back to life. You know, music is like your heart. It doesn't beat the same all the time. It doesn't have a certain amount of beats to the... Like your heart may be slower right now or faster at a certain time. That's what life is about. The music is the same way. So it's just, I just like the real human element more than, than a machine. Because I think when really machines are going to take over, then you might as well forget about life itself because it has no feeling. You can't teach the machines to feel. You have to play it. Now, I'm not saying nobody can play those things and get a good feeling. But I'm talking about music in general. You know, it's nice to play with real musicians to have real people. And and it's just a nice combination. It's, it's like when you hook up with a group of guys that friends of y'all. You have a, you connect. You know, and the certain musicians get together. And we used to have a rhythm section that they, they called it the A-team. The A-team, and this is before the, 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 the TV show, the A-team came out, you know, and they said, well, what was the A-Team? Well, the A-Team was Steve Gadd on drums, Eric Gale on guitar, Richard T on piano, Chuck Laney on bass, or Marcus Miller on bass, and I played percussion, and that was the A-Team. And we could, they called it that because we were basically playing on everybody's album, from Sinatra to James Brown. So... It was like we developed a family because we didn't really know who was going to be on what session until you got there and you realized the same guy you see in a whole week long. And we, we began to be a family. And that was the A-team. And, of course, after those guys passed on, it was another A-team and vice versa and on and on. So it was a real great time to come up. And I came up with some great musicians, you know. The George Benson, Grover Washington, the Hubert Lords, the Don Sebastian, the Bob James. You know, Quincy Jones, you know. So when you work with people like that, Duckman Stone, it just was a night where you're up on a certain level. The music comes out on that level. You know, you can't just get, oh, he's my friend. I want him here. No, that don't work. You get the best person possible at the time. And, and that's what we did. And we just had a lot, a lot of fun playing music. And that song, Mixed Emotion, was a song that Global Washington did. And I decided, I wanted to do it for my new album because that would be the perfect title. And it was written by my partner, William Eaton. Well put. I think you put into words a lot of, uh, a lot of things that, that, that I feel as well about the, the soul of music and very well, well spoken. The new album, Mixed Emotions, it features songs written with Ashford and Simpson. And it also features their vocals. How how did you come to collaborate with them on this album? Well, they have been friends of mine throughout the year. I know Nick and Valerie from 1970. I would imagine that's about 38 years. And they're songwriters and singers. And we were songwriters. And we were always very close together. We worked a lot together on commercials, on record dates and stuff like that. And they just happened to be good, good buddies of mine for years. And, you know, as you get older in life, you you sort of look back and you say, you know what, you know, these are we we come up in the business together. Maybe we should finally do something together. And we talked about it, and we all agreed that yeah, it'd be great. Let's do a song together. We wound up doing two, 
One was our rhythm of the drum, which opens the album. And the other one is a ballad that sung by, rhythm ballad sung by Valerie Simpson called Love Will Find You. And these are great writers, Astrid and Simpson. Remember, they wrote, <laughs> Ain't No Mountain High Enough, Let's Go Get Stoned, Ain't Nothing Like the Real Thing, You're All I Need to Get By, Solid as a Rock, Reach Out and Touch. I mean, it's ridiculous, you know, that these people, we came together and, and, you know, I remember them taking me to their church and I grew up in Harlem and they took me to their church in Harlem and it was just an experience I can today explain. It was just amazing. I've been going to church all my life. I grew up as a sort of Catholic Episcopalian and my church was nothing like their church. You know, I really dreaded going to church because my church, they spoke Latin. I didn't understand what the hell they were saying. Not a clue. And the music I thought was the spookiest music I've ever heard. <laughs> you, know, you walk in the church and they play, no, 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 no. I was looking for Dracula to come out at any minute. <laughs> you know? And then I went to Nick and Valerie's church, which is like a Baptist gospel church, and I was disgusted. I didn't bring my conga drum or tambourine. They, they, they had a, they, it was just unbelievable. And the main thing that really got me was that the preacher, the preacher talked in my church. I didn't know what he was talking about. In that church, that preacher spoke about what was happening in the community of Harlem at the time and what we need to do as a people and as a community. I mean, I really connected with church. And uh, it was just amazing. And I remember when I went to my Catholic church, my mom used to give us like a quarter to put in the little, they had envelopes to put in, and you give to the church every Sunday. And it was me and my two sisters. And we saw that 75 cents. We were poor. We mom and them couldn't afford that, but they did because they believed in the church. And when I went to Dick and Valerie's church, and after I heard the music, and after I heard the sermon, and they passed the plate, I put $100 in the plate. Because hmm. I was touched. It meant I was, you know, it's just, in all the years of going to my church, I was never touched like that. Never. And one, one day I went to their church and it changed my whole life around. So, you know, you just have to keep, keep your mind open because a lot of stuff you learn <laughs> when you get older, you learn that that, well, this is not it. This is not the only way. This is a way, but there's other ways that you can be quite better. And that's what got me interested. So I really took my hat off to Dick and Val because not only they made me feel good, but they helped my spirit to grow. And we just decided, hey, come on, let's do something together before we all leave this earth. And we agreed and we did it. And I thought it came out fabulous. Yeah, I think so too. You mentioned the song Rhythm of the Drum that opens up the album. The first song, Rhythm of the Drum, and it was written with Atford and Simpson. Right. Well, actually, we wrote the, the music and they wrote the lyrics to that song. And, know, and the music was done by my son, Anthony McDonald. It wasn't done by William Salter Eaton and myself. It was done by my son, Anthony. Yeah, I noticed a few of the songs on the album were friendly. Well, I have, I have two boys. One is Anthony, and the other second one is Atiba, and both of them are into music right now. My second son right now is in college in Miami studying to be an engineer in music and the music business. And my oldest son, he just happened to be around 
all the time. And he just developed a little sound. I did another song of his on a previous album called uh, "When the Well When the Well Runs Dry," and another song that he had written for me on a previous album. So he's, you know, slowly but jolly getting into it. And when I find something, I feel something that can relate to what I'm doing. I try to do it just to give them some inspiration. But I think my son did so well that I had to put it as number one. <laughs> it's the rhythm of the drum because it fits right in with what I'm doing. Yeah. I thought at first it might have been a cover or a, another version of that other song, Sound of the Drum. Oh, yeah, no. But this is a totally different song. Absolutely. But back to the Mixed Emotions album, I've noticed a lot of these Caribbean guys are real romantic. <laughs> and judging by your songs, I would guess that you're a romantic kind of guy. Well, that's it. I, I really am. I, I mean, people always say, man, I, why are you right? You know, I like to write about, you know, what else is there in this world except love? You know, what, what world? I think Burke Backrack and Al Davis said it best in their song, What the World Needs Now is Love sweet love. You know, we have a song called Faith that the brother Black recorded, and the verse says, uh, line, uh, you know, love is the answer, but nobody's buying. You know, so I just, again, learned that from Delafani, I just like to write about positive things, because I remember writing a song one time, Never Trust a Woman. Well, who wants to hear that? <laughs> we got to get along with these women, you know? You don't want to hear that, you know. And after I finished writing the song, and I was silly and saying, oh, this is cool, this is cool. And my partner looked at it. He said, yeah, it's nice, but, you know. I don't know about you, but I want to love a woman. I want to trust a woman. You know, never trust a woman. It's just a negative vibe. Yeah. And there's one line that I really love from the album, and that line is, you don't have to look for love. I believe in it's true. Love finds you. From love, that song. Love, that's it. love will find you. You don't have to look. You can be blind. It'll pop you right in your head <laughs> when the time comes. Great song. So, you know, that's what I'm talking about in terms of trying to give a positive vibe to people and give people something that, you know, I find the music of today, there's, there's not much to it. You know, I'm used to listening to a song where you have a story, great lyrics, great music. And you could follow it as an intelligent person and relate it to your life. Like people sometimes ask me, man, well, how did you come up with just the two of us? Well, we came up with just the two of us because that was the logo for Trinidad and Tobago Forest Board at one time. And a friend of mine named Joe Brown came and put stickers up all over my studio on Broadway. Just the two of us, Trinidad and Tobago, just the two of us. And I kept seeing that every day. And this idea just came, hey, that's a great title. And that's how we wrote the song. But a lot of people, the song actually started about Trinidad and Tobago, those two islands. Oh, wow. Um, around 1980, 81, Tobago was talking about succeeding away from Trinidad. And it was such a lovely country. You know, I didn't think they can survive on their own. This is one country that stick together. You know, just the two of us. We could make it if we tried. Just the two of us. You and I. That's where the idea came from. And then... I asked a friend of mine, Bill Withers, to sing it because the song was really for a Grover Washington Jr. album called White Light. And when Grover heard it and we did it, he said, Ralph, the song is pretty, man. It's one of memories. It needs to be sung. They need to hear these words. And I asked him, well, who do you think should sing it? And he said, Bill Withers. I said, do you know him? He said, no. I said, well, he's a good friend of mine. I called him up. 
we had already cut the track. He said, Ralph, send it to me. It's in my key, and I could sing it. I'll gladly do it. And sure enough, it was in the key he could sing in, and he agreed to do it. And right before he came to record, he said, can I change some words around a little bit? And I said, sure, you know, make it yours. I want him to so he sing, com- feel comfortable with it. And he changed some lyrics around, and it became a love song. Wow. That's you know, amazing. But yeah, it is. But that's that's how music go. You know, you you could be heading in this direction, and before you know it, when you see most people work by themselves. I work with two other people, three of us, and we don't have no ego that because I came up with the idea, got to be mine. You came with the idea, got to be yours. We all got it. We can hear whose whose idea is the best, and you listen to it, and you say, "Yeah, that's it." Right? We all agree on it. So you know, that's how you get stuff done. And when Bill Withers changed it around to a love song, boom, you know, million selling song, Grammy, he won Grammys for it. You know, everybody did good with it. It has to be. The idea was because of that in Tobago. Yeah, that's very fascinating. I I mean, it's fascinating that that's where it came from because you'd never think, I guess, from the way Bill Withers had, had changed it around. It is one of the best love songs ever. Right. And believe it or not, he didn't change much words around. Well, wow. it wasn't a lot of words he changed around because the whole idea came from Trinidad and Tobago. It was about the love of the two islands that I saw. You know, it, it's like let's just say you don't know that story, but it's you, it's you, and just your little your pet, a dog. All right, you can relate to that song between you and your dog, just the two of us. You know, you and your best buddy. Yeah. Male. Two males. Hey, just the two of us, you know, cool, we could do this. Male, female. It could be any two things. That's what made that song universal. You know, it's just most people hear it and they relate it to a love affair. Well, that's even better because we all want love. That's what we strive and look for in life. I have noticed that about the song. Like, I'll be at a restaurant or a store or something, and I'll hear it, and I'll think about it on many different levels. I'll think about it as two friends. Right. It's a, it could be two of anything. Yeah, it, it probably means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Different people, that's exactly it. And to me, when they get a hit song like that, and the song becomes a hit, it's, it's reasons like that why. It means so much to so many different people that it becomes a hit like that. Everybody can relate to it in whatever fashion or mode you're in at the time. How do you compose your songs? How do you write your songs? On a piano or? You know, it's no set way. I I didn't never study music in school, so I, you know, I can't sit down and say, well, tonight I'm going to sit down and write a song. It doesn't go like that. I'll be riding in my car. I'd be on my bicycle, I'd be weird at the beach, water skiing or something, and an idea coming to your head. And you just put it down <laughs> into the computer of your head, and you hopefully, when you get to the land, you'll remember. <laughs> There's a lot of great ideas I've had. When I got to where I got to a thousand tape, I couldn't remember what it was. <laughs> so, I'm like, now it's walk around with a little record device. If I get an idea, I just speak it into the, into the system. One of the songs that you that you wrote, it was a co-write with Jimmy Buffett, and it's a song, I think, it's a very good song, an underplayed song. It's pre-you. I feel... Oh, yeah. People don't even know about that. 
Yeah, I feel that that's a song that you could have vocals on it, but it would also work as an instrumental. Sure. I've always wanted to hear your take on that one. And I, well, you know, the, and when I first started with Jimmy Buffett, you know, we uh, we on a relationship of writing together. Nothing to do with me playing in the Coral Reefer band or being a part of anything. From my perspective, it was about us. Like I had hit songs out. I won three Grammy Awards, and he wanted some more Caribbean feeling songs and this type of song. And he just wanted some some different. And that's how we got together. And the first song we wrote together, actually, in St. Bart, about 1982, was a song called Creola. And he recorded it, and it was low money for him. And matter of fact, Madeira Shakur did it in the album, and that's one of the songs that they picked. They had a, a competition on the internet of which Jimmy Buffett song would they like to see Madeira sing, and that came in in the top three. So that's how that got on her brand new album to release soon. But that was the first song we've written. And then after that, we wrote Free You together. But he wanted to go into a jazz thing. And people don't know, you listen to Free You, you're hearing Grover Washington Jr. on the soprano saxophone. You're hearing a whole jazz group, not a Paul Reefer band group. And a lot of times, people who like Jimmy cannot get into that. They don't see that as Jimmy. But I see Jimmy, I see him doing that. I see Jimmy doing anything he wanted to. He's a thing. And you put down the right kind of vibe. It's wonderful. I mean, we did a concert at Lincoln Center about a year ago with, with Marcel's band. And Jimmy did Creola, and he did a song called What It Means to Leave New Orleans. And it was fabulous. Yeah. You know, it's like people don't realize that he does that kind of stuff. He does it well, too. It's amazing that you you picked that out. You know, you're a very special person, because I can't tell you, people don't even know that song exists. And, but it was also put on ballads, boats, and beaches, and bars, and that uh, did quite well. So. I think that uh, I think that they're missing something. <laughs> but what about a question? Kind of about Jimmy. He he discusses your album, The Path, in his book, The Autobiography of Pirate Looks at Fifty. I was wondering, does does Mister Buffett keep up with the albums you release? Does he comment on them? Oh yeah. Well, that particular album, The Past, you know, at that time, my engineer who records my album is his engineer, gentleman by the name of Elliot China, one of the great engineers in the business today. And he had told Jimmy about this album and played it for him. And Jimmy just loved it and loved the rhythms and the stuff because that was a piece I did on my family history. So it started off in Africa and it had lots of African rhythms and then it went to the Caribbean and then to the So Jimmy really liked that part of it, because in the beginning of the song, The Path, it's just, it started off in Nigeria. Well, Nigeria didn't have French horns and trumpets and stuff like that. They had log drums, log drums, and, and different metal sounds. And when you hear that album in the beginning, it sounds foreign to you, because it's African, and you're not kind of used to that music. But as it go on, the same rhythms change into a Caribbean rhythm. And then it changes into an American rhythm. And when it gets to part three, which is where I was born in America, where we have people like Randy Brecker, Michael Brecker, David Sanborn, Barry Rogers playing horn, a real jazzy funk thing. It's like, hey, this is, this is what we hear today in the music. It's got Bob James doing the solo on the synthesizer. It's like, hey, this is some, yeah, 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 this is cool. But in the beginning, when you heard it, it didn't sound, it sounded foreign. 
and you see as the music progresses and as life progresses, you see that the more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> you know, and the basic it's because of the rhythm, the basic rhythm. And it's just and Jimmy just freaked out on it. And uh he loved it and that's how he decided to call me to write songs together with him. And then after that he said, Hey man, I would love to have you in my band. I want some of this rhythm in my band and I told him point blank, Jimmy, you know, I'm doing Global Washington, George Benson, Quincy Jones, Sinatra. I don't think I could do this. He said, well, why don't you come out and try for two weeks? I said, fair enough. And I came out and started for two weeks, and that was in 1966, and I'm still here. Huh. I mean, 1986. 86, yeah. 86. Well, and, and you I came out for two weeks, and uh, I realized, you know, and I told him, I don't think I had no fun. I'm having more fun than I ever did. This Jimmy Buffett gig reminds me of the days of Harry Bolafani. A highlight of the day was getting to the theater to do the show. That was a highlight of the day. Wow. We couldn't wait to get to the theater to do the show. That was our highlight of the day. And working with Jimmy is the same kind of vibe. You know, I'm just fortunate that I enjoyed it in the 60s with, with, with Harry. I enjoyed it in the 70s with Roberta Flack and Washington Jr. I enjoyed it in the 80s with Quincy Jones and them. I enjoyed it in the 90s. With, with Buffett, you know, and here we in the 2000s, and I'm still enjoying the same thing, and I feel very blessed and thankful in life that I'm playing music because to me it's like hitting a jackpot every week. You know, you're doing something you love, and I truly love music because too many of my friends and people I know go to work every day hating their jobs, and I can't figure out how can you be productive and you hate what you're doing. You know, so I'm really lucky and fortunate, and I feel blessed that uh, doing what I love to do, which is music. Well, he has allowed me to do that. And it's amazing to me all the things that you've brought you've brought to the world, and I hope you don't think I'm kissing ass, but <laughs> you've brought a lot of a lot a lot of joy to a lot of people. You know, so those songs, I know that those songs they they connect with people. On on many levels, and whether whether you know you're playing with Jimmy Buffett or anybody else, or when someone's walking through a store or, or they're at a restaurant and they hear one of these songs, they feel something. So, you know, I I have to say I appreciate it. And as this show is as always, it's going out worldwide. So in closing, what would you like to say to those listening in? I'd like to say, if you have a chance, uh, give my music a listen. I think you'll be, you'll be used to hearing a lot of these same songs by other people. And uh, people just forget that. When my albums first came out, Paul, they were all on, on vinyl. But since they had been a CD, you know, because I own all of my albums, I can re-release them under this new format called CDs. And they're doing quite well. Sound of the Drum, The Path, Sound of Point, Reunion. Just a tour bus, Fort Pleasure, Trippin', Homegrown, and now Mixed Emotion. So all you have to do is go on RalphMcDonald.com, and you can get to listen to some stuff, all the stuff, and get to pick what you like. So I would suggest and hope that people would just be open-minded and take a listen. think they'll enjoy it. As always, thank you so much, Mr. McDonald, and I hope that we connect again sometime. 
I hope so, too, Paul. It's been a fabulous and love what you're doing. Thank you, sir. So you got some great people. I heard the Urban Birds interview. I heard the Rose, Little Rose interview. I thought it was fabulous. Well, thank you so much. Well, I might see you in Atlanta. And again, thank you very much. Okay, you take care. All right. Thanks so much. Thank Have you. a good one. Have fun tonight. Okay. See you in Atlanta, Paul. I hope so. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We thank you and appreciate you dropping in for the Paul Leslie Hour today. You know, you can help the Paul Leslie Hour in our mission to provide independent media content like this by visiting www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. We truly thank you. This is your announcer speaking. Performance of the Entertainer intro song and Corina Corina outro song, courtesy of John Primerano. Well, that's it for today. So until next time, be safe and be good. <laughs>